welcome regular Bitchin' Boutique listeners and new folks to our All the Horror episode for 2020. This week, Pitney and I are visited by our friend Lex Dracos from the Geekly, and the three of us spend a fun afternoon talking about depictions of transgender characters in horror. In addition to a fascinating trans character from American Horror Story Hotel, we discuss the classic 80s slasher Sleepaway Camp and delve into some complex issues of bodily autonomy in the recent family horror drama Hereditary. It's supersized and super awesome, and we think you'll really enjoy it. Get comfy, y'all. our special guest i want to remind our regular listeners that uh they need to be sure to check out the hashtag all the horror and those of you who have found us through the hashtag all the horror hello we we don't we don't normally do things this formally you'll enjoy us okay so uh but everybody needs to know that if you buy official all the horror t-shirts there are four really really badass new designs this year um, all the money raised from those t-shirts goes to a charity called Scares That Care, which is this cool group that supports families in need, and there will be links aplenty in the show notes. So, now, joining us this week is Dr. Lex Dracos, calling in from lovely Canterbury, England, and up until quite recently, Lex hosted a podcast called The Geekly. And it's all out there where you can listen to it, and I recommend it. But I'm going to let him introduce himself to you all. Uh, hello. Okay, so yeah, this is... Um, I hate introducing myself. I was just... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Because like, I have to write a bio for work, and I'm just thinking, like, fuck. I don't... Wait. Like, how? Never mind. Okay. <laughs> um... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm the same way. It's fine. Okay. Um, yeah. So basically I did this, I did the Geekly, which was like kind of a side thing that I was into. I'm I'm really not kind of like the comic book thing. I'm a, I'm a doctor of monsters. So this horror show is actually really up my alley, but I haven't done anything with monsters for like two years. So this is super exciting and, uh, it's about trans people in horror. So yeah, just keeps getting better. That's right. It could not be more, a more interesting topic, I think. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So shall we then? All right. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's okay, do this. Okay. Okay. So today, today, this episode, we are talking about depictions of trans characters in horror. And you guys are probably thinking, and you would be totally right, that there isn't a lot out there for us to choose from. And as in most media, the representation of trans characters is pretty sketchy and often not particularly positive. Mm -hmm. But we have found some good examples that we want to discuss and we definitely have a lot to say about them. Yeah, I think, like, it's weird because for a genre which honors the other like horror does, I mean, it's it's like all about 
things that exist on the margins. Like, when trans people do show up, and it's it's usually trans femme people who are more transvestite than transgender, I mean, if you want to think, like, Buffalo Bill or Norman Bates or kind of pretty much all of them, yeah. um, <laughs> it's it's just it's a weird combination that, that trans people don't feature more prominently in horror or more positively in horror. But yeah, we've we've picked three narratives that are are very interesting, very unique in their handling of aspects of trans being. And uh, weirdly, like, because I've been thinking about obviously all of them very much for like the past month or so that we've we've been putting this together and my opinions on them have changed so much like Mm -hmm. even what i was thinking yesterday to what i was thinking today was like (laughs) anyway so yeah it's gonna be really interesting to just dive into this and uh and talk it all out oh yeah i I totally get that yeah the more i think about it the more i go no wait (laughs) it's it's weird it's especially for things as simple as some of the things that we're talking about (laughs) i was writing notes up last night i was like wait but i want to say this and wait i'm realizing that this is this it's very interesting (laughs) but we'll get into it later so you know just as a warning for like i am not somebody that's ever cared about spoilers yeah there's all these things of like, oh, it's a spoiler warning, blah, 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 blah. I know that some people do, but I'm a person that will read like the last five pages of a book oh, to see yeah. if I want to read the book, <laughs> you know? So but for you people that care about spoilers, we're going to be talking about Sleepaway Camp, American Horror Story Hotel, and Hereditary. I'm assuming that everybody listening to this has probably watched all that stuff. Or at least probably a of them. knows yeah. about it enough to know because I'm assuming horror fans are gonna be listening to all the horror. But if you right. care about spoilers, be aware that there's a lot of spoilers in this which will basically ruin the whole experience for you if you don't know the story and if you care because <laughs> right. we're totally telling so, the story yeah 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 so with that being said we are going to start with the classic sleepaway camp and uh amelia take it away Woo-hoo! all right all right sleepaway camp now on its surface Sleepaway Camp is your sort of typical 80s slasher. You got kids going off to camp and people are getting killed one by one. But this one, it is kind of (laughs) special. It has, let's say, an unexpectedly queer sensibility about it. Especially for the 80s. Man! And and I, I will say this. If you are one of those snobs who prides yourself on your knowledge of queer cinema, but you have never seen Sleepaway Camp? Well, you know, have a seat, Mary. Uh, because you need to learn a few things. So, basic plot, as quickly as possible, filled with spoilers, because we really got to get to the meat of this story very quickly. We start off with a boating accident on a lake. A speedboat goes out of control and plows into a dad and his two kids. I think the kids are twins. I'm not 100% sure about that. The dad is killed and one of the kids is killed. And we assume that it's the boy who was killed because we spend the rest of the movie following this girl named Angela around. 
and she's she's at this summer camp that she's gone to with her cousin and she is weird and quiet and stares at everybody with her big buggy eyes and suddenly people are dying in just amazingly gruesome ways and of course of course it's angela killing them because right before they die they were just mean to angela so that's i mean it's pretty clear but then yeah they did not do a good job of yeah. Keeping any sort of suspense up with that. <laughs> right. Exa- exactly. Like, they, they don't let us see her doing it, but at the same time, it's pretty fucking obvious. Yeah. They, they then, did make, like, kind of yeah. a, a sort of very weak attempt to be like, oh, it could be Ricky, her her, her cousin, who's, like, very protective of her. But, I right. mean, did, did anybody really think it was Ricky at, at any point, aside from that one guy? Oh, God. Like, oh, God. No. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> But one of the things that's really fascinating about this movie is that throughout it, we gradually are given this backstory about Angela that's sort of interspersed throughout. And like her dad was gay and the guy driving the boat was his lover. And she was raised by her aunt Martha, who always wanted a little girl. So even though the kid, here comes the spoilers, even though the kid who survived the accident was the brother, she dressed little Peter as a girl and called him Angela and I think that the whole point of this movie is to say that if you force a gender identity onto a child they are going to grow up to murder people I don't think that's what they intended uh, but there it is I really do think that that's that's what the movie is ultimately saying which is not something you'd expect so uh that's the basic plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the but, but the reveal say, like, of that of that truth is very interesting. Is, though is like the aunt. Is it Martha? Yes, it is. Yes, Martha, yes. <laughs> she is so fabulously Stepford wife. Like like a drag queen being being a Stepford. Oh, wife. oh my yeah. god! Yeah, it is like the not the I've original Stepford wives, but the Bette Midler movie Stepford wives. <laughs> <laughs> so over the top <laughs> oh my god oh man yeah she yeah. is like a 50s vacuum commercial oh yeah yeah and as heinous and horrible as she is martha's kind of fabulous oh she's the, oh, good <laughs> she she needs her own series of films i would do anything to see a whole aunt martha movie but anyway, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, let's, uh, the, the, the big reveal, uh, I'm going to let Pitney talk about the big reveal because boy, is it a big reveal? Uh, so, okay. So the big reveal, which will surprise nobody really, if they paid any attention is that the killer is Angela and oh my God, she's a boy. Oh, look, that girl has a dick. <laughs> because, you yes. know, at the end, she's holding the severed head of her, like, kind of lover, but let's say kind boyfriend. of boyfriend because they're teenagers, right? Right. In her, and then she stands up grimacing in horror and in trauma, and you see that she has a dick. And she's inexplicably yes. naked. Yeah. Yeah. Because we have well, to Well, remember, that. right before that, they, they were going down to the lake to go skinny dipping. Oh, that is true. Yeah, that is true. So you're That's wondering, true. and you know, and I, uh, you're wondering, 
did she kill her boyfriend Paul? It's Paul, right? Paul. I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go along with you on that. I don't remember. <laughs> no, it, it's it is Paul. It, it is, is Paul. Paul. Sorry. Yeah, well okay. Done. And it's, well done. Anyway. <laughs> so the question that you know it never occurred to me until right now: Did she kill her boyfriend Paul because they went skinny dipping together and he freaked out that she had a penis? That's true. We we there is no explanation. That. I never thought was about that. It just a part of the ennui and the angst of the whole movie. He had to die. <laughs> yeah, that he had to die because of reasons that I will that I will get into. <laughs> uh, you know. See, like I just presumed it was because you know he he kissed the the like mean girl, and so like she was taking revenge on him. That's but the like true. actual skinny dipping thing. Him is kind of like it didn't even occur to me that like he might have seen her naked and he probably would have been like oh what like freaked What's out going on there yeah <laughs> yeah well especially because of the era that it was filmed in because if that would have happened now i would think that most guys would be like oh well i didn't know that well Let's check this out. I would know, <laughs> I would think. I mean, the experimental teenage boy, sure. Yeah, see what not? that's like. You know, and I know and it's interesting, though, because, you know, like, 80s horror is so homophobic. Yeah. Oh, well, 80s everything was, but yeah. They, I may be wrong, but I'm just going to say my opinion on something. Okay. I may be wrong, but this is a whole other discussion. <laughs> you know, there's all this stuff now. Like, for example, I went to a whole panel with all the Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 people. They're, oh, yeah. Oh, all the gay context of that. Oh, we were just trying to be this and that and the other. And it's like, no, you weren't. You're sugarcoating it now that that was a homophobic movie and that's what it was meant to be. Right. Oh, yeah. And you totally were not setting up. Don't try to intellectualize this yeah. shit now because that's what it was at the time. Right. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's not the time for that. Yeah, because like, the first that... time I saw it, I didn't think that they were. Oh, look how. Oh, look how accepting and open they're being. <laughs> I, that was not my thought the first time I saw yeah, it. Yeah, you know. But that being said, I was like, I had no emotional reaction to. Oh my god. She has a penis, which you know at the time that's what they were going for. Absolutely. And you know the audience was like, oh, my God, look at that faggot. (laughs) Like, totally. Right. And I remember remember going to Rocky Horror in the 80s. Oh, God. And having stoner guys there (laughs) screaming faggot at the screen. That is how homophobic the 80s were. So I really don't think that it was, this movie was made to be intellectually the way that we're disseminating it now. But it does warrant intellectual dissemination because it's really, really interesting. Because I don't think they were aware of some of the things that they actually did. I think they they meant the opposite of almost everything that really is in there. Yeah. But yeah, I, I would agree with that. You know, and what was really interesting to me, it was like, 
okay so the reveal scene is like oh my god she has a dick isn't that the, is that the line yeah I don't know. I don't. Did any, like, I don't know if they say it. I just. I just remember her like, face. Like she's oh, a no, boy. She's so oh my god, she's a boy. She's a boy. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, and then they focus. The last scene is they focused on her face, and it's just like this anger and angst-ridden. The grimace. weirdest pose. The yeah, everything about it like, is weird. Yeah. It's probably the most disturbing part of the film is like the pose that the body's in coupled with the expression on her face. Yes! Like, like yeah. what what is that? Like, and when you just... Google sleepaway camp, that picture of her face is what you're going to see and you're gonna go, What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. That? yeah. That's what yeah. stuck with me because Oh, it's eerie. It was so it was crazed, it was angsty, it was painful. Again, yeah. I don't think any of this was meant. It was meant to be freaky, but we're reading into this now from our... Right. Sure. But yeah. to me, it was like, I, I was like, oh my gosh, is that, like, where is that coming from? And I think part of me thought, well, she was just rejected by her straight boyfriend who all of a sudden realized... Right. Yeah. ...that something was there that he didn't expect right but then I was starting to think of like Angela's whole life which to me like puts it into a larger narrative of like the trans experience and a tra- and like a, tra- a traumatic ver- like yeah a, the yeah. first and, trans and, experience you know, and that, yeah. my perspective on that being who knows if Granted, okay, and Angela, who's Peter, making out with a boy, um, <laughs> that brings up the question, is Peter gay? Right. Is Angela a straight woman? But what's interesting is he's, like, forced into being Angela. Right. Against his will. So it's like all this trauma and... Yeah. And it was like, to me, it was between an act, you know, an actual trans person or a straight boy being forced to be a woman and then reacting in that way. Like with an abusive I would childhood. I think and, yeah, the yeah. angst would be the same in that you're forced into an identity that's not yours. Right, right. That's not authentic, and that fucks you up and makes you angry. I'm not, it does not make you homicidal. (laughs) But I understand, I know what I'm saying. But Angela sure as fuck was. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I understand the pain and the angst of it, and uh, Peter being forced to be Angela against his will, if he really is a straight boy... And he's forced to play this role. It's gonna right. fuck him up, and I think that is probably the actual written narrative of the movie, regardless of what they say now. Right. But yeah. I think it really does resonate with the opposite of that, as a trans person being stuck in this life and being stuck by these you're their parents, like you're a girl or you're a boy. Right. And this anger, this like, you know, well, fuck you, no, I'm not. Stop telling me what I and am. It's yeah. gonna yeah. make that anger. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's what I 
got out of that. Yeah. I, I want to kind of add one thing about the, the, the shot itself, because part... I mean, I don't know... Well, it, there is something kind of weird. Uh, Felissa Rose, who played Angela, uh, she, to this day, poses for pictures with fans making that face. <laughs> and it's really unnerving. Well, of course she does. Because yeah. that's literally all she has. <laughs> I mean, she's like, she's at a con, she's dressed real slutty because she's at a con, and then she's posing with people going, ah, with her face, you know, looking off to the side with her mouth open as wide as she can. And that... That face is so... Well, like you were saying, I mean, it's like... There's so much in it, and it's so traumatic and so crazy to see. And But one of the things that, that really makes it even that much worse is the way that... And I, I'm just trying to look at it from the point of view of the filmmaker. They want you... They want to give you enough time to make sure that every single person in that audience sees that dick. Oh yeah, yeah, and definitely. So they linger. Oh my god! And and yes. honestly, even though there are some proportion issues with superimposing her head in the in semi darkness to make the the scene a little more seamless, and the guy who's standing there, uh, either is wearing a wig or has long hair. All of a sudden, Angela has considerably long hair than she had two seconds ago. Um, and it's curlier, but because it's not a boy, because there's no way they're getting a, a boy of the right age to stand there. Oh, it is God, a man. Yeah, they couldn't do that. It no, is no, a man. No. It is a skinny man. It's probably the the most of a slip of a man they could find, but he still has his shoulders are too wide. So in order to de-emphasize that, her head is too big. Oh, maybe yeah. it was the ugly old troll camp camp manager (laughs) (laughs) the sad thing about that I looked that guy up that was his last role ever he had a wonderful long career and that was sleepaway camps the last thing he ever did but but the the shot lasts for so long and it's it that makes it that much more uncomfortable because once you've seen the dick you don't really need to look at the dick anymore so you look at her face and her face freaks you the fuck out and not, they not will a, not let you stop looking at her face. No, right. and, and then they, is, they've yeah. they've also got like these weird grunty animal noises and this like right. crazy orchestral music happening at the same time. So it's just oh, like it's, this this huge I, I don't know clusterfuck of weirdness coming at you, and you yeah. can't get away from it. And like you want to look away, but at the same time you're just like, what am I looking at? I don't understand. Like it's like yeah. her head is like so oversized, and the body, and it's just. <laughs> It's so long. It goes on for so long. Yeah, and you're right. Yeah, and, and it's so like cacophonous. It totally is just to be like, oh my <laughs> god, look it. She was, yeah. pretty, you know, a faggot. That's right. what I got from it. Right. Which is so 80s. But it's weird because, like, for a movie that's so badly acted and badly written so there's really not any genuine emotion really as you're watching this movie because you really don't give a shit about these people but that you all of a sudden the viewer just has this swell of emotion they do not understand because that <laughs> final shot fucks with your head so bad I know that, you know what traumatized me about the movie most was it reminded me of going to Kids for Christ camp 
<laughs> me being the nelly little faggot that I've always been, and being so bullied, I had to sleep in the in the parking lot in a oh sleeping bag because nobody wanted me in their tent. That's what that movie this. reminded me of. I've known you your whole fucking life. How, have I, how did I not know that? Yeah, but we 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 diverge. We diverge. So yeah. so, so let's go on. Lex, what is your feeling on all of this? Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, so my my initial feeling about the film. Well, one, I was like watching, and it, it, it is the most boring film like ever i have seen and i mean the, the the last shot as weird and disturbing as it is is the most interesting thing that happens in the film but yeah, so i kill suck kill yeah. boring yes yeah. <laughs> yeah um so like i knew it was coming and like the entire film i was sitting there thinking how are they gonna do this like final shot because she's obviously like what like 13 14 like they're, they're not gonna have like a naked child there anyway right. I, I i didn't i didn't expect them to do what what they did or to, for it to look the way it did but um interestingly okay so richard hiltzik is the the director and writer of sleepaway camp and the fourth film in in the series apparently he was unaware of the two sequels in between and had nothing to do with them um he <laughs> he's a lawyer now in new jersey i believe so if you're in new jersey wow. and need legal advice like there you go and if um, you're in New York and need and need a, a, a you want to buy an apartment, uh, the woman who played Aunt Martha could hook you up. There you go. <laughs> All of your needs taken care of in the tri-state area. Um, yeah. So like he insists, like up and down, that he had no intention to put queer politics in either Sleepaway Camp movie, and he has no idea how they got there, and he's completely oblivious. I and, intended to be a hundred percent homophobic. goddammit. it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like, okay. Maybe in theory, I mean, it's it's possible that there could have been a person in the early '80s who was so unaware of societal events and and people that subconsciously things just ended up in his film. Um, but but I still have questions. <laughs> I really, I, I really so kind of questions. <laughs> so many oh, questions. God, yeah. And I've really kind of, like, I've been resist resisting the urge, like, since I found out that he's just this lawyer of, you know, contacting him in some way and just being like, can we talk about Sleepaway Camp, please? Um, I think he might hang up on me, though, so I, I don't know. Anyway, so, like, I mean, just oh, the, God. The, <laughs> the, the, the combination of things that we have. All right, first, there's, there's Aunt Martha, who... I, I didn't even know, like, I was fixated with her in the beginning, and, like, the absolute just dismissiveness that Ricky has for her, like, his mom is obviously something. I don't, I don't know, but she's not normal. She's not normal. Whatever, and he's whatever just normal like, is, she is not it. Whatever, mom. <laughs> um, so yeah, like, I think kind of universally, nobody really knows what to make of Aunt Martha. There's, like, loads of stuff about Aunt Martha, like, who is this woman? Why is she like this? What is, what, like, what were they trying to do here? And I think, like, yeah. almost everybody was just presumed at first that she was a drag queen. And Totally. Totally. Yeah. That too. I was shocked. Uh, to oh, learn that she really? Was not. See, I never got that, which is weird. That's so for not like me. you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I did see her as Campy Bette Midler in the Stepford Wise, and I never saw her as a drag queen. Anyway. Oh my God! There was no way she. There was no way she was a cis woman. The first thing I thought was, "Why is there a drag queen in this movie?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that weird. I never got that. Anyway, let's go on. I'm sorry. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. Like, no, oh I mean, God, like really. <laughs> 
it was it was actually kind of reassuring that like everybody else seemed to have this thing like every article i read right. about it like in the first paragraph or two was like by the way she was played by a cis woman i was like mm-hmm. okay <laughs> but yeah apparently that too the the tie-in with the drag culture was completely unintentional mm-hmm. um okay so so we have aunt martha then we have the aunt martha decided to make peter angela because well she already had a boy and you can't have two boys. No, you have to have one of each. Get the whole set. Right. Everyone um, knows that. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, well, if you're a Stepford wife and you want to have the perfect family, you I, have yeah, to I mean, I, I suppose that is oh, true. You that's know, that true. the ideal thing is, you know, a boy and a girl, and you know, whatever. I guess you can decide what the point five is going to be. Um, so yeah, <laughs> then then we have you know the the apparent kind of like trauma of Peter slash Angela walking in on their dad and his boyfriend in bed when, I mean, they're basically just kind of cuddling for half a second. It actually looks very sweet, but it's yeah, very it was, romantic and sweet. Yeah. For, yeah. But, but it's, it's again, it's a very voyeuristic. The bed is like, if I remember right, isn't the bed like rotating? It, I think it is. And it's like a black background and yes. you know, it, it looks kind of like some sequence. sort of like uh, performance theater. <laughs> yeah weird thing they're just gazing into each other's eyes yeah just like i mean it could be the cover of a romance novel really like i mean a a gay romance novel obviously (laughs) but yeah so all right you have you have these things and i mean i'm 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 glossing over the fact that like peter slash angela witnessed her brother and their brother i'm so confused about pronouns i don't know what to use for oh no i think i think there was a boy and a girl to begin with and yeah there was was died but no but we I mean, thought, in terms of we thought like, the brother died, but the sister died. Right? Yeah, yeah. no, yeah, the sister yeah. died, and <laughs> and the father died, and like, you know, they were like what six, seven? They, oh, they, they were, were pretty small. little, yeah. They they were small, and so you yeah. go through like this traumatic thing, and then your aunt says, "Okay, you're gonna be a girl now." Um, anyway, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You're living with me. You're gonna put on a dress. <laughs> <laughs> so. Alright, okay, like, if, if just one of those things was in the film, you could maybe be like, sure, this guy didn't really mean to do what he did. It's just a coincidence, you know. Um, but, like, it's just, there, there's so many layers of the queer coding in this film that I don't think that you could do it by accident. I mean, you know, there's there's oh, the God. monkey and the typewriter thing, but, I, yeah, they've, <laughs> they've, they've proven that's not real, so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, I... I keep going back and forth about how I feel about this film. Like, when we first talked, I was like, oh, no, it's a horrible film. It's totally transphobic and, and right. all that stuff. Um, you know, he'll, uh, the the director was like, you know, I just made a slasher film because everybody was doing it, and I thought it would, like, be a quick way to make money, and, you know. And that was his way of being a little different because that was yeah. that's a whole new thing. Well, yeah. you know, like, I, I suppose in the early 80s there might be something titillating and taboo about the idea of tra- gender transgression and, like, queer themes, but, and, 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 like, it wouldn't be the first time that people had, like, used capitalism to be like, oh, yes, I'm going to use marginalized issues to make more money. Um, of course. But, yeah, like, I think, so, yes, the, the, the film is horrible, and it's dated, and it's, it's, so many things so so many things uh but to like you know i was gonna say though but back then none of these issues that's, were that's issues. true not not to the Tannies general public definitely. And, yeah and trannies were freaks <laughs> yeah. and i mean that's what the consciousness right. was yeah, back absolutely. then 
and people are always trying to go back on that these filmmakers always are trying to go back on that to deny that and I yeah, just I own, own that you made a really shitty movie. <laughs> I call. Yeah. I, I think his his official position now is that he will he the film is about bullying and what bullying can make can turn people into. That's a um, I think there's the, it. yeah that's that's very. <laughs> if child abuse could be just summed up as bullying, sure. <laughs> No, it's not. The film is all about he thought that that fucking bitch Meg was hot. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> and that she, you know, that's what the film and was about. And apparently <laughs> she wants to fuck the old dude who owns I know. the camp. Like, what the fuck? Like, what is wrong of, with all, this? All of the people, and that, like, weird random bodybuilder guy, she goes for the, like, <laughs> dorky old guy in Argyle socks and a cigar. Like, what, what is that? Yeah, that is like oh, straight male Mary Sue right <laughs> oh, there. Lord. It's like they went to Central Casting and said, I'll take one of those, I'll take one of those. <laughs> Interestingly, James Earl Jones's father is in this movie. And when you if you know that going in, you'll recognize him the second he talks because he talks just like him and he kinda looks like him. Yeah. Oh, is he like the like the second cousin? Yes. Yeah, the old, yeah, the yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The co- the guy who I guess works for the disgusting pedophile piece of shit who's the first one to die. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. The, he's he's weirdly okay with, you know, prepubescent girls being objectified sexually. Like you know, oh yeah, it's just funny. It's all good natured fun. Oh, he's that just, that is he's that is different silly. podcast though. <laughs> like, <laughs> about like the racial oh, politics yeah. of this movie is a different thing entirely. But yeah, yeah, I mean, we're only talking about one aspect of how much it sucks. I mean, we could go into so. There's so much about this movie that's like, wow, really, wow. Yeah, and I then like the next scene. Jesus, oh god. <laughs> Yeah, it's every time I thought like they'd kind of hit the peak of of uh, like cringy problematic tropes, <laughs> they they did another one, and I was just like, oh, yeah. oh, okay, I guess we're just like we're going for it, huh, aren't we? Um, I mean, well, we are building, we are yeah. building to the ultimate transphobic. Oh, look, she has a dick. So we're, I mean, I guess if it was politically correct up to that moment, that wouldn't make sense either. <laughs> so. But the clothing and the clothing. Um, can, can, like, the, the short shorts on all of the guys and, like, the midriff oh, thing. Oh, the that short short and those ridiculous muscle t-shirts that barely went below the nipple. Oh, God, yeah, what was the, what was the crop, the crop so, shirt? So, I mean, I, oh. re, I remember that that was a thing back then, but oh, my God, so ugly and stupid. Oh, my God, it really, yeah, <laughs> if, if you want to know what the 80s really looked like, that movie is what the 80s really looked like. It wasn't all like, everyone didn't dress like Cindy Lauper. The 80s looked like those kids. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I will say in passing, one more, that, one, that uh, Meg that I hated oh. so much, the horrible, horrible slutty yes. bitch that lived in, you know, that was in the dorm with Angela. And I guess she yeah. was a counselor because she was Yeah, older, she was a counselor. Oh, yeah. was she a counselor? Where she had like the, the with her big goddamn ponytail? Oh on no, the side no, of no the, that was the um, side pony. That was Judy. Yeah, that was Meg Judy. Was the oh, older Judy one is who I'm talking Judy. about. Judy is who I'm talking about. Judy rocked a side pony like nobody's business. Yeah, is that side pony? My sister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, well, one of my sisters. Yeah, and and Pitney knows which one. <laughs> 
Yeah. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. Next up, we are going to talk about American Horror Story Hotel. And we are going to focus on one truly divine character named Liz Taylor. And there is absolutely no way that I would be able to shove the whole plot of an entire season of a TV show into a few sentences, but I'm going to do my best to tell you what you need to know. So there is this gorgeous Art Deco hotel. Oh my God, the sets. The sets. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's called the Hotel Cortez. It's in Los Angeles. And this place is basically cursed because it was built by this millionaire in the 20s who wanted a murder palace with like secret places to stash bodies and shit because he really really liked to torture and kill people so it's it's mostly populated by like junkies and vampires and serial killers and really creepy children and oh so 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 much murder and the fun part about this hotel is if you die there you will be a ghost there for eternity, which basically means that place is filled with ghosts. Mm-hmm. And as you go along, you know, some characters are ghosts, some are not, but you don't necessarily know, you know. Um, yet things, things get weirder as things go, but because it's a weird place filled with weird happenings, it tends to attract people who, you know, just kind of want to be accepted for who they are and enter Liz Taylor, who is sort of essentially reborn there and so she decides to remain and she lives out her years there she works at the reception desk she's the bartender she generally just ups the glamour factor of the place which was already pretty high because lady gaga plays the countess who's sort of this fashionista woman who owns the place and god she's a bitch like 90 percent of the time (laughs) Mm-hmm. And then there's some shit about a detective, but who gives a shit? Because Liz Taylor <laughs> is really the only thing that matters. So, Pitney, do you want to talk about the fabulous Liz? <laughs> oh, God. Okay, well, let's just start aesthetically because, you know, we are superficial beings. <laughs> we, normally talk. we normally notice things aesthetically. The thing that I loved so much about meeting Liz for the first time. You know, because you meet her for the first time, you don't know any of her backstory, and she was like this fully actualized, comfortable, fabulous woman. Yeah. And old, bald, flat-chested, but 100% absolutely a woman. Right. Yep. She does yep. not read like a man in drag. Right. She reads like a woman because that is what she is. Right. And I thought that that was so wonderful and so refreshing. Right. Because it was like, oh, look at somebody that has transitioned. I, I mean, I'm talking male to female, and, you know. Male to female and transitioned socially, basically. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, they're not dependent on wigs. They're not wearing stupid falsies. They're not dressing like they're a prostitute from 1979. 
because for whatever tragic reason, so many of the trans people that I've known in real life, that's the first phase they go through. Right, yeah. that's that's where they start. Like, that's yeah. the ideal and woman to them. Like, right. Oh, this isn't me. This isn't what it means to be a woman. This is just like this thing. And this is me being a drag queen. Now I can grow yeah. and I can become who I really am. Right. And you meet Liz, and that is what she is. She's Ugh. just this. You love her the second you see her. Yeah. <laughs> bald, flat chested, and like six and a half feet tall <laughs> woman. And I. And the only reason I focus on that is because it's not traditionally things that are female. But there's no doubt that this is a woman. Right. Yep. Because she doesn't read as like, oh, look at that bitchy drag queen. Or some guy on Halloween. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I just thought that that was really, really cool. And granted, this is something made in a whole different era from the artistic (laughs) world we were just talking about. So the sensibilities are going to be different. Right. But to me, like, the whole character of Liz was, like, a message of hope and a message of acceptance. Oh, yeah. And a message of empowerment for anybody, whoever you may be. Yeah. You know? Whoever you are, be that. Yeah, that's basically what she is. You know, and as we do delve into, you know, her backstory, you know, you realize, you know, she's gone through what we've all gone through or all of us, you know, non-cis people have gone through. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, where like you don't know where you fit in, how is your family reacting? You're I mean, even me, the big old fucking queen that I am, who came out at like seventeen, mm-hmm. even I pretended to have girlfriends in high school. <laughs> and and I will say that because I met him when he was sixteen, yes he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, because and, and and you know Liz is much older than all of us. I think. And the product of an earlier time where she got married, she had kids as a man, and lived this whole life of like, oh my god. Just miserable. That's not to negate the love of her children, because that's totally there, the love of her son. Right. Yeah. And the respect for her wife. But there was also like this, oh my god. Yeah. What have I done? Because yeah. she lived in an era where it wasn't possible for her right. to yeah. easily live. And it was... Oh, <laughs> I, I get that way about her, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love her so much. I, because, I mean, I'm not saying that my journey has been as difficult as... As Liz's would A person right. coming out as trans. Right. But she was able to finally find herself amongst all of this and all of a sudden she just like bloomed and was so authentic and I don't know necessarily how realistic the apparent quickness of that journey was. I think just that place has a lot of magic in it and that made But I think that it was very hopeful and very inspirational and... You know, because all of a sudden, you know, she went from this 
oh my god, what the fuck is going on, and blah, blah, blah. And we don't see what she went through in the years. Right. Yeah. Right after. We see, yeah, going, we see, like, just just enough, yeah. yeah. Going through the process of, you know, the sorrow of leaving her son right. and leaving her wife and, you know, all of this stuff. But you get the sense that the actualization was pretty much there. Right. And to me, that was a very, very hopeful positive thing. Absolutely. The only thing that I will say that I didn't like about the whole thing, which I, because it had nothing to do with Liz, is you know I don't like Lady Gaga. (laughs) (laughs) And at that time, when that that originally aired, I didn't like her either, but I have I've softened on her since and then. <laughs> whereas I think the Countess is kind of fabulous, she's just really a horrible bitch. She really yeah, is. she is. But she, but she was very sweet to help Liz in that moment, and that was her best moment. I yeah. thought it was pretty... F- okay, so I had two feelings on... Okay, the when she... You know, so... You know, when she decided she was going to dress up in the hotel room because that's the only time she feels herself... And then her asshole, khaki-wearing co-workers would come out and saw her in the hall making fun of her. And then the Countess, a.k.a. Lady Gaga, comes out and slits their fucking throats <laughs> for making fun of Liz. I thought that was fabulous. <laughs> that was so justified. But, but, one, I thought it was just sort of Lady Gaga doing her whole pro-gay and I'm better than everybody else thing and she probably wrote that into the script because she wanted to be badass Lady Gaga. Maybe not. Maybe, I don't know. But the other thing that I was struck about that that I was like, well, was Liz empowered because this woman did this and allowed and gave her that power? Or was... what? or, Or would I like to think of it as... With my hate of Gaga and her <laughs> ego aside. Okay. Was, that was such an extreme act, but for such a person that had felt so extremely unaccepted in her authenticity, right. I was wondering if that extreme act made Liz feel like oh my god, there really is love and acceptance right. and it was definitely an act of love me yeah. in this world as mm-hmm. myself because look at what this person just did and she met me yeah. 10 to minutes defend ago yeah. <laughs> me right, and right. how empowering is that it's, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was really amazing so I was struck by that and Lex, what is your feelings on that? <laughs> have, so many feelings. I have so many Just feelings. To my Lady Gaga cabinets <laughs> aside, I got to the theme of what I was trying to talk about afterwards. It does. Co- it does color the view of a scene. It, 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 it does a bit. Um, I, yeah. I mean, going back to that moment, I think probably one of one of my favorite scenes of the entire season is when Liz is walking down 
the hallway to get ice for the first time and she starts off so kind of self-conscious and meek and you know she's holding the bucket in two hands and she's glancing around she comes to the the housekeeper who just kind of like glances at her and then goes back to her work and then after that Liz is kind of like it's okay like no nobody cares and I mean yeah and I did love that too I remember I noticed that Yeah. yeah And I remember thinking, like, girl, I hope you realize that that housekeeper just saw you and does not give a fuck. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, yeah. and I think, like, every trans person has that, that first moment when they go out in public as themselves, usually as a very imperfect version of themselves, because they're just starting out, they're just figuring things out. Right. And to not be clocked as trans, or even if you are clocked as trans and whoever you're interacting with still treats you as your identified gender there is this moment of like liberation and freedom of like okay and and then you know the way liz I kind of really do this yeah. danced down the hallway like i mean you you kind of have that feeling with her because like you see her realizing she can be who she is and uh and i, I liked as well that like when she got back to and when she ran into those guys she was kind of like self-conscious and stuff but she didn't back down like she stood up for herself mm-hmm. and True. you know a lot of times particularly with trans women or trans female femme characters they have them kind of shrink under the criticism of the the kind of dominant male cohort and i like the fact that like she had more power as her female self than she ever had as her kind of male persona like she felt oh, yeah and like I mean, she was. Oh, absolutely. She was like yeah. a force, and she was like, "You are not going to like put me down or make me feel bad. This is like who I am." And so, like that moment of self-realization is is probably one of my favorite moments in television. I mean, Liz has a very special place in my heart. So, like, um, I, I actually kind of have like a, a mini essay about her, but. <laughs> We'll see how I, much I will, we get I will to. listen to talk about Liz all day long. I would be happy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I I love Liz, and I love Dennis O'Hare. I mean, I'd seen him in American Horror Story before, and, you know, he's a great actor. I mean, every, the entire cast is, oh, yeah. is great, so, I mean, he's kind of in there with his peers, but I'd never really seen him in anything else, never really thought about him. Um, and then Liz came along, and it was just like, I, I now love this man. I know nothing about him. He has a son, I know that. But he is just, like, an amazing and very special person to bring Liz to life the way way he did. Yeah. Um, And I know, like, there's there's a lot of stuff about, like, cis characters playing trans characters. And, like, there's the principles and there's the practicality. um, But there's absolutely no question that he has, like, a deep love for this character like like many of us oh, do oh yeah um you know just even all of the little nuances he put in like the, her speech patterns and the clicking the nails and just everything like it's so anyway um and there's, and there's almost <laughs> yeah there's almost no chance that most of that was on the page like i really think that he just put so you know whatever it was in himself or whatever you know he really he really created her like she was written as a as yeah. a cool character but he is the reason why she's such a fucking force yeah. oh definitely definitely and and i mean like like Brittany said you know she never once comes across as 
a man in a dress or or anything like that like no, and the real no. like it is cool that like physically she hasn't really been feminized you know like she wears very classy elegant clothing and you know she's got the makeup and everything and the nails but otherwise you know total goals total yeah, old lady goals for yeah. me <laughs> like you know there's there's no hair there's there there're no breasts uh no like hormones anything no physical alterations and yet she is female and that's just it's it's really cool to see because you never see trans characters like that they're always some sort of i don't know sleepaway camp that's that's, that's what right. you get yeah. yeah and you know and the other thing that, that you know that i was struck by this and again it's the errors that it was made yeah but again it's hopeful and it makes me happy Nobody that walked into that hotel gave a flying fuck. Oh, yeah, no one else. reacted. Not one person reacted weird to her, except her oh, fucking co-worker. Oh, look at this, you know, like this bald woman. Towering lady, over you know everyone. I mean, giving me these fabulous cocktails. Nobody gave a shit No, yeah. No one misgendered her. No one made any sort of, like, transphobic insult. Like, everybody just got, like... Her transness was kind of a non-issue. Like it was just, yeah, th- there's this trans character here, and and also she didn't, which made it so much more powerful. Yeah, yeah. and and she okay. didn't have the stereotypical like tragic backstory either. Like you know, she had an unfulfilled backstory. She was unhappy in in her life before, but it wasn't this like oh kicked out of her house by her parents when she was fourteen and had to become a prostitute and got right. uh, beat mm-hmm. up and became a drug addict and all of this other stuff and almost killed and you know finally 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 she's found a small bit of happiness and is still being abused and whatever. No, like she kind of had a, a, a normal life and it was just basically about her figuring out who she is in kind of like her mid to late 30s which i think you know a lot of people start really examining who they are and what their life is like around that point um so the, the yeah there's a lot to identify with they're both like i think from trans and from cis people and that's probably why so many people are like liz is the best i mean like I think we all kind of want a Liz in our lives. Like I would, I would love to have Liz as like my godmother, or you know. Oh my god! <laughs> like, oh god, yeah. Or at least I, mean, I would go to her bar every day. Reminded me of Liz. Reminded me personality-wise, not aesthetically, but Anna Madrigal in uh, Tales from the City. Oh god! Oh, Did y'all ever? No, watch I this? never saw that. So long? Oh my god! <laughs> It was just like it was set in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. It was like this, this hippie slash gay, right? Slash, because you it's know, San Francisco, right? <laughs> San Francisco <laughs> yeah. apartment complex that this woman named Anna Magical won, and she was like everybody's mother, and everybody loved her, right. and it turned out that she was, you know, a trans woman, right? And that was such a positive representation of the time, and I don't think that had ever been done at that time. Yeah, because that was Liz that was reminds me of Anna Madrigal. But if y'all have never seen it, then that's sort of <laughs> I, I did so long ago that I'm I'm just like, well, when you explained, I'm like, okay, now I know who you're talking about, but the name didn't click. But yeah, and she definitely is kind of her role is kind of she's sort of Liz is kind of parental in a way to yeah, almost like everyone in the hotel. Of the hotel yeah. you know because even though she couldn't be the father you know quote that she yeah. 
would have wanted to be to her kids when she was living there. Once she became herself, she basically, all of her nurturing stuff came out. Like, you could tell when they showed her backstory that she's just, like, sitting on the couch like a lump and just the most sad, unsatisfied, I guess I'll go to work, I guess I'll, you know, yeah. I guess I'll go eat dinner, you know. And she really, once she became herself, like, all these aspects of her personality that had been suppressed because she was so miserable just sort of you know and she just she takes care of everyone and that and yeah, she and even they were accepting of her but she was accepting of all of those freaks too yeah yeah <laughs> and i was just gonna say you know she's kind of like the only likable person in the whole thing yeah i mean she, yeah, she really she's is really purely well, the main character person. i thought the you know the lawyer or the detective the detective i'm sorry he was likable, even though he turned out to be, you know... A murderer. Not well, a everyone murderer. in there is a You can't really have a problem with well, anyone yeah, in the show for murdering. Yeah, they I all... think Liz was the only likable character in the she's, whole Yeah, thing. she's the one I want to hang out with. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. Even the other ones on their best day are not as great as Liz. No. Oh, yeah, no. no. Anyway. Can we talk uh, a little bit about uh, the fact that she gets a beautiful love story? That, I will let oh, you guys yeah. fight over who wants to talk about that. <laughs> uh, well, because I, I, th- I think that's like, one of my favorite things. I think Pitney kind of called dibs on that, so I'll I'll, I'll, I'll let him go for it first, and then. I mean, I know I know that Pitney is jealous that Liz got Tristan and he didn't. But <laughs> oh yeah, because I'm sorry that that I won't even call him a man because he's such a man child. But that boy Tristan is like really really hot. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I thought it was interesting that basically just like an egotistical, model, junky, right? beautiful piece of shit mm-hmm. was able to be turned into an actual decent human being because he found love with Liz. Yeah. Yeah. And God I damn it, know. I did not expect it. I, I no. would have never thought that that that's where that's where that the two of them were gonna end up together. But it's like, oh my god, yeah. it's perfect, oh my god. <laughs> and I thought that was also like what I said before, is like to me Liz was like a beacon of hope and a character of hope yeah. in like, you know, a bigger picture. And I mean in re- the real world the likelihood of that love connection happening is next to nil, right? It's certainly yeah, yeah. possible, but it does... It, it's possible yeah. that next to nil, but it's hopeful, and it's not hopeful in, like, a trollish sort of way. Right. Yeah. It's hopeful in, like, it, like look at these two damaged people, this person becoming a whole person, and this becoming a whole person, and seeing each other as them whole people and falling in love. Yeah. And I don't think Liz's love made Tristan a whole person and then he gravitated that out of out of thankfulness or vice versa. I think Liz became whole and Tristan became whole because he had been fucked over And was like reevaluating his so stupid life and realized, oh my God, Liz really loves me. Right. And I love Liz. Yeah. And it was because they became fully actualized despite the utter 
incongruousness <laughs> between them, bro. I don't even right. know how to say it. Yeah. You know what I'm implying, though, right? Yeah. And they came together loving each other. And to me, that was a beautiful thing. And yeah. I think by the right, I mean, I don't know. But I would think by the writers, it was done on purpose. I think like, so too. it's so oh, yeah. visually and realistically bizarre that those two people would come together and fall in love. Yeah. But because they had been so, you know, Tristan had been so damaged and Liz had been going through this transit, you know, through this transformation emotionally. Right. And they both came to a place where they fully realized who they are. And they were like, oh, my God, we really love each other. And these crazy differences that society would be like, what the fuck? They don't matter because we love each other. And I want to say one thing. That's what I took from that. My absolute, well, there's so many things that could be my favorite. But the (laughs) one thing that really stood out for me that really, that I thought was a very important thing for them to put in it because it made it clear to the audience was that she wasn't like a fetish object for him that he responded to her as a person as a woman it was you know like he because there was a couple of points at least once or twice that he said this is so weird because i'm not usually into guys and she would just very calmly and quietly say but that's because i'm a woman Mm-hmm. And it was, I thought it was especially beautiful because ultimately you don't want, you wouldn't want her to end up with someone who's like, I just really want a trans woman. You know, you don't, yeah, you yeah. don't want her to end oh, up with that God, guy. Yeah, and yeah. so to have him just being this beautiful, dumb thing who would blurt out something like that, but it made it, it was so innocent and so sweet and he loved her so fucking much. And it was so obvious that they, that they were really, really in love and that it wasn't this little freak show thing. Like so much of the rest of that show was that they were like so genuine as opposed to every other fucking couple. Yeah. And like I said, to me, it was like a message of possibility and hope and yeah. And that she could find, she could find genuine love with a straight man because she was a woman, but without quote passing, I'll just use the word passing. Yeah, or or yeah. surgery or hormones or anything like that. Like, yeah. and he was right. just because, like, she she said at one point, like, she thanked him for seeing the girl in her, and I thought yes. that was like a that was kind of a really sweet way of of phrasing it. Um, and and I think she, I, I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was something along the lines that he made her feel more like a woman as well, like. Um, she just kind of he kind of right. reinforced how she felt about herself, and that was a very novel thing for her. Um, I, right, I, because it was it was like <clears throat> it was like I, I I can tell you're not just being nice to me. Yeah, that it's 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 you're you're accepting me fully as a woman, and not just you think I'm cool. Yeah, and you're hanging out with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like it's so it's much. it's such a weird <laughs> love story, but it is it is so perfect. And, like, I, I read an interview with, with Dennis O'Hara, and he was talking about it, particularly, like, the scene where uh, Finn Whitrock, who plays Tristan, kind of looks, or Tristan looks at Liz and says, do you love me? And, I mean, that's, that's something that, like, the Countess says to, like, all of her various men, is tell, right. me, you, tell me you love me. And um, Sally is the same way, is this, this constant need to be told that you, you matter. 
And so right. when, when Tristan says it, at first it seems kind of like a, a parodying of it. And um, O'Hara was talking about, you know, they, they did several takes with that. And he was always like, so I guess the, well, the American Horror Story creators and, and writers have always been kind of very queer, inclusive, and, and just kind of generally oh. doing weird and innovative mm-hmm. things with their stories. And apparently they let the actors just do a lot of, their own instinctual stuff and so like O'Hare was saying you know you keep thinking about like what you're going to say in response to that question and how you're going to react and what your face is like and he was like and then there was this one take where it just it finally hit him that the the Tristan needed somebody to love him like he it couldn't he couldn't comprehend that somebody like Liz could love him where like Liz was right. kind of in the same place thinking she couldn't comprehend that somebody like Tristan could love her and yeah. so and instead of like actually saying something he just kind of like responded non-verbally and and like appreciated Tristan for for who he was and then you know Tristan was like I think I'm in love with you and it, it became a very very sweet moment between the two of them like actually seeing each other um and yes I think like that kind of dynamic and the fact that both of the actors put that much of themselves into the performance really because like we didn't see their love story for very much they had like a handful of like two three minute scenes together and then right. Tristan was dead oh yeah like definitely. and uh yeah if they edited all that together I think we'd have a total of 10 to 15 yeah, minutes isn't it maybe? weird that we're talking about it now because it's such a meaningful thing yeah even though it was like three minutes of but Visual. every second of it was mwah. yeah I mean yeah. they, they conveyed yeah. so much in so little and then, like the yeah. the final scene between two of them is just yeah, I mean, well, well okay. I presume. Oh, <laughs> oh I can't even talk like, about the, it. <laughs> I, I I am not into like romantic gestures and love stories and things like that. But the last oh, scene I know I'm very with, jaded about with that kind of Tristan shit. and Liz is like the most romantic thing ever. When he just kind of like oh. shyly walks into the room and she's like, "I thought you hated me," and he's just like, "You needed to live," and it's just like, yeah. oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you know, but I think just in closing, I just want to say something about not to do with trans, but to do with Tristan, okay. right? When I used to be really involved with the club scene, which, you know, but we all were, right? Uh, yeah. But don't you remember, like, the people that, you know, were so hot and all the girls wanted to fuck mm-hmm. and all the boys wanted to fuck oh, yes. and they were so cool and so hot? That was Tristan, okay. right? Yeah. But they were messes. They were just as insecure. Oh, God, yeah. As poor little faggy skinny me. <laughs> right, right. They were just as insecure as everybody, and it didn't matter that they were like the hot person that everybody wanted to fuck and everybody wanted to know oh, and blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Because... Nobody wanted to know them beyond the fact that I got to fuck him. They, uh, they <laughs> yeah. could get drugs, and they wanted that dick or that pussy, depending on who it was, right? right? Which is terrible. Yeah. And to me, like Tristan, you know, being like the beautiful guy that everybody that saw wanted to fuck, because let's face it, yes, he was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. No question. But it was like you got to see that insecurity too, and. It was also a message that that superficial bullshit doesn't matter. 
Right. Yeah. Like all this like model fashion Kardashian bullshit is bullshit. Yeah. And I I took that too from that. Right, right. And it's like for it's one thing for the three of us to watch it and appreciate it, but can you imagine being like a fifteen year old boy, you know, in some small town somewhere, watch it, you know, watching this series, having no just being like, Oh, I like horror movies, I'm gonna watch this I'm gonna watch this show, having no idea what he's about to get into, and being able to see that like Maybe, depending on where he is, the first time he's ever aware of seeing a trans person. It may be the first time mm-hmm. he's ever seeing anything even remotely like that. And how, I mean, we can all go back to when we were that age and did we have anything positive to look at? I mean, I mean, my God, it's, so, it's astonishing. We had Rocky Horror. If, yeah. If, if I had yeah. met Liz, I, I had like I was the era of Jerry Springer transvestites so yeah oh no my, my, my yeah. teenage years were kind of very depressing but if i had met liz at 15 my life would have been and like i don't have a tragic oh. trans story i have a very like positive easy trans story but if i had met liz at that point my life would be totally different so like oh my god yeah i, I would have started so much quicker <laughs> this was like boom yeah no kidding yeah oh my god uh. oh <laughs> <laughs> so yay! Okay, hotel. Okay. Greatest character in the history of everything. <laughs> My name is Paige, and I'm the host of Reverie True Crime. Reverie means to daydream, but even daydreams can turn into nightmares. Join me as I tell you about horrific reveries on the Reverie True Crime Podcast, wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Alrighty, now we have come to the enormous possessed elephant in the room. I'm sure everyone listening is wondering, why are you talking about hereditary? Because there are no trans characters in Hereditary. Well, I'm going to tell you a little story. When we were kicking around ideas for this episode and we were doing research and you know, to look for a good variety of characters to talk about, this article popped up and once we read it, there was just no way that we weren't going to talk about Charlie in this show. And um, I'm absolutely, absolutely, as always, linking the article in the show notes because I'm sure at least a few of you are really going to want to read that article. It is a crazy article, (laughs) but man, it really will blow your mind. So once again, I hope everyone's seen it or doesn't care about spoilers because I am about to spoil the fuck the entire movie. So, and... Again, really complicated, lots of shit going on. I am cramming it, condensing it down. So you got this old grandma who is a high priestess of the cult of the ninth king of hell, some demon dude named Paimon. And she has been working for her whole life to try to create a perfect human vessel for him to return to earth. And she tried several times to put him into a guy as he would prefer but she ends up having to put him into her granddaughter, Charlie, who we meet when she's like at that preteen awkward stage. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then through a very, very seriously fucked up series sequence of events and like way, way more decapitations than I have ever seen in a movie, uh, Paymon moves from Charlie kind of through a, a bunch of other shit eventually into her brother Peter and now he's Charlie and hail Paymon! Complete with jazz hands because <laughs> I can't say it without jazz hands. So... <laughs> So, and everyone's like, really? That's, that's how you're going to summarize it? That's as good as I can do. Because I, I can't, I can't go on for an hour. So, uh, I just have to say, you may as well walk down the street and fail. <laughs> Hell, Hell <laughs> That's an in-joke. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So, uh, let's, uh, let's, but, uh... let's jump into Hereditary. <laughs> okay, yeah, like, because, I mean, I saw Hereditary before you shared the article with me, and I never, like, yeah. it didn't even dawn me that there was anything sort of trans, and then I read the article, and I was like, actually, they they, they make a lot of good points. And, they really did. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was kind of weird, because, like, there, there, there is not a lot of trans mask representation out there. I mean, so much so that it's a joke in my house that uh, trans mask people have invisibility cloaks and it's my superpower. That's why people don't <laughs> social distance from me is because I've, like, supercharged my invisibility powers and they just don't know I'm there. Because, um, like, everybody else gets in the household gets socially distanced from me. They just walk into. Anyway, so yeah, trans, trans men, trans mask people, we are able to just be invisible at will. Um, so yeah, yeah, then this thing came up with Hereditary, and it was it's it's an interesting look at at trans representation and trans issues in in a few ways. Um, partly because of the the kind of like blink and you miss it subtext of the film. Like literally, if you aren't looking for it, you probably won't see it. And I'm sure there are people listening to this being like, "What are they talking about?" Like Hereditary yeah, has. They're still not. They're still not. Mm-hmm. No, they still don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I like. I know my partner was like, "Why are you doing Hereditary?" Like I don't understand how that. And I was like, "Just it does. Just yeah." Because reasons. <laughs> we have reasons. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like it kind of mirrors the actual or or yeah the actual non-representation of trans mass characters in the media, which I also find interesting in addition to their portrayal of a trans mask character in a very weird way. I don't know. Hereditary is odd yeah. in a lot of ways. Like, Sleepaway Camp yeah. is very much one thing. American Horror Story Hotel is very much another thing. And then there's Hereditary, which I also have questions about, but in a very different way than I have <laughs> questions about Sleepaway Camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Well, and and that's one of the things that's so funny is, like, I think the article even refers to that Charlie is the villain of the movie. And it's like, no, fuck you. Charlie's a victim like everybody else. But but the idea that Charlie turned into Peter is like, ah, that's that's not exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I get your point. No, but I thought it was interesting that where Charlie is not, you know, a trans character by any means. Um... I felt like, and I'm going to say that the actress portrayed this like this, and the designers did the hair and the makeup and stuff like this, because if you look at the actress, she doesn't look mannish at all. No. But Charlie really looks mannish. Yeah. Or I should say boyish. Yeah, boyish. 
And I think that was a really good decision on their part to, you know, to bring that out with the themes of later. Like I said, I do not think it's like specifically a trans narrative, but it could definitely be. It's it skates right on the edge, yeah. of it, kind of. Yeah, yeah, it could be translated as such because they definitely designed Charlie as a 13-year-old girl to be very boyish. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll I'll touch because on that a little bit later. Of what was going yeah. on. Yeah yeah. 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 And in fact, it was like it was kind of weird because to me Charlie almost looked like a very young Long-haired Michael Myers from the first. I I can I can see it actually. Yeah, like I, do you yes. see it? Oh, no. oh, I'm never gonna I'm never gonna unsee that now. Oh, <laughs> there's no connection. Yeah. We cannot possibly make a connection. Oh. But I'm just saying. But really, it's not so much. It's but it's but it's Charlie and not Millie Shapiro. It's the, it's Charlie that. Oh wow. wow! Oh my god. Again, probably not on yeah, purpose. Yeah, okay. Charlie, <laughs> totally Michael Myers from the first Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> oh my or the God. first Rob Zombie Halloween, you yeah, know what right. I mean. Right, right, right. Oh, <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, my God. Oh. Oh. Uh. Well, no, what, what, what I took out of the movie was, again, I know it was not written as this, but... What I took out of it was a very scathing representation of the Abrahamic religion. (laughs) (laughs) And how they're so, you know, male energy (laughs) and male deity. You know, because coming, you know, people that don't listen to Pitney and Amelia's Bitch yes. and Boutique, who don't know me, may not know that I'm, like, a very, very long-term practicing pagan in a very strict Wiccan sense, in a very strict duality, male and female balance sense. I'm not God. I'm not goddess. I'm very much in the middle, yeah. right? And... It was really interesting to me of like, especially that they like they like stressed when they in the movie where you know she's going through that book in oh, yeah. the attic or whatever, and then underlined is oh like her mother had highlighted all these yeah. passages. Yeah, for like Pimon is like a male demon and he needs a male body or whatever right. that the actual quote was. Right. I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense because... A real demon <laughs> wouldn't care. <laughs> it's a demon is like, you know, an, an entity, you know, like a god or whatever, or got it, whatever. Right. Why the fuck is that going to matter? But then when I was reading about this afterwards, you know, Paimon, Pimon, mm-hmm. I've noticed some... Um, Online, there is some uh, controversy. How is it really pronounced? Is it Pimon or is it Paymon? Oh my god! Uh, of course. But, I don't, but 
what really cemented my view of this is let's just say Paymon because I don't know. Works for me. Yep. I think that's how they said it. Is, so there's a book. I don't remember the name of the book. It doesn't matter because it's like one of the most definitive things on modern demonology, which to me says bullshit. Yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> but it's the but kind the of book I like to have on my shelf. That, that book, there is a long foreword in the, on that book by Aleister Crowley. There you oh, go. Okay. Well, there that we go. means it's yeah. true. And I am very studied in Aleister Crowley because in figuring out my pagan path, I have, you know, studied Crowley and blah, 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 wondering if that was something that I wanted to be involved in. It's just, blah, some, blah, it's just blah, something you pass through yeah. as you're finding your way, yeah. But basically, he is just a misogynist pig oh, yeah. Catholic. A little bit. He was perverted Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Yep. Into his weird ways. But that is very, very male-oriented. So, of course, all demons are male. Right? Yeah, yeah the and only ones I can think of that aren't anything that would be called a demon, like, you have to go into Hinduism to find strong, like, female demons. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because well, that mean, doesn't exist in the Abrahamic. There, there is Lilith, and there's uh, Mazadine. Oh. Lilith's daughter, basically. Lilith's daughter with uh, yeah. Lucifer. Um, but yeah, that's that. There aren't very many of them. Yeah, and it's very strange. So that's what I was like. Well, of course, Paimon is a male that's going to demand a male <laughs> body because heaven forbid. Right. Yes. He can't fully live his life without his male body. Of, of course. course not. But, you know, like my take on that is spiritual, superficial entities, whether they be entities or energies or however you want to say it gods goddesses demons spirits succubus incubus whatever their energy and they're inherently gender neutral right yeah to my way of thinking so i thought it was really weird that it was like this supernatural powerful entity Paimon or Paimon, whatever. Paimon sounds so mocking. <laughs> must need a is male and must need a male body because that just does not make sense. Yeah, and and he is treated and, as though he's super super powerful, and it's like if he's so powerful, how come he needs this old grandma to to do his bidding for him? It's like he he can't yeah, just come in and in take a, someone yeah, over. Yeah, in a spiritual sort of way, that did that did that didn't make sense. But that, to that's me. always the thing that they do with demons. They're like, oh, they're so powerful, they're so evil, they'll corrupt you and they'll tempt you, but they can't like um, manifest themselves wherever they want. You know, angels can just pop in and out whenever, but like. These these right. these super powerful demons who could like destroy the world and steal your soul and do all of these like horrible things that angels can't compete against are like have to be summoned or they can't actually do anything. It's like what what what, 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 what is that? Yeah. Like I I don't understand. <laughs> How powerful are they if they can't just show up when they want to? But yeah. But boy, isn't that just the imagined power of the male? Isn't that, that is just... actually yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think we're gonna call it power. Really but it ain't. It. <laughs> I was reading about the director. 
I don't think the director meant that. I think the director was going directly off the lore of. 100%. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, 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 and I love that he that he went and found one when he's writing the story that he went and found like an actual thing that we could look up and read about. Yeah. Like, oh shit, that's a that's a real demon. <laughs> But I think it could be an interesting metaphor as in the sense of, like, well, I'm male, so I can't possibly manifest in a female body. I'm going to kill this female to become male. Yeah. She sure as fuck needs to die because she is not acceptable. Because, you know, there is numerous articles online about a trans perspective of this movie. And I'm wondering if maybe, if it, like, is that where it came from? Because, I mean, that that sounds angry and horrible the way I just worded it, but I think that's the essence of it is. But really, so if you're, like, a trans person and you're born into a body that's not your soul, right? You're Paymon going into a body, right? <laughs> right. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't you want to symbolically kill that body to become so it can physically manifest in this lifetime who you really are because you have to live in this life like that? Right. Yeah. I've definitely seen things leaning towards, you know, the girl has to die so the boy can live kind of idea. And that's I mean, it's extreme, took, but that's yeah. what I took from that movie in this context, right. but me not being experienced with the you, you know yeah. the the emotions of a trans person i'm going to give it to you Lex, <laughs> and i hope i didn't offend you by saying anything like that because i didn't mean it to be uh, offensive i was just trying to like put this into that context and that's what i came up with yeah well like the idea of kind of killing the previous gendered self comes up a lot in trans communities either like trans people saying it themselves or other people typically parents parents like to say oh you killed my son or daughter a lot i, right. I, I don't understand why but it, it also can be kind of like a very empowering thing for trans people to say of like you know i i, I killed this i did i mean even the, the fact that like it's it's common to say dead name for like the previous gender's name, right. so there is this idea that like mm. that identity is dead, um, and I, I think that kind of comes from having to reiterate or, or like reinforce to the people in your life that I am not that person anymore. Like that person is dead, right? Um, and so right. like it has these these two edges to it of like you know depending on where which side it's coming from, it can be a very positive thing or it can be a very negative thing, and and it just sort of, I guess it's like most things. It depends on like the context in which it's being used. You know, like some people find using the word bitch or slut as very empowering, very affirmative. Some people still think it's very insulting and derogatory. I think the same can be said right. with like fag you know they're they're gay people who are like you know it's my word i'm i'm reappropriating re it and then there are right. people who are like do not use it at all in any context around yeah, no me no one should ever be allowed yeah and yeah. Uh, or like tranny or you know various other things like that like you know some people they're okay with it i mean i like i know i use queer a lot and there are still people out there who are like no do not do not say that but like that's the word i'm comfortable with yeah so yeah like uh, yeah i mean I, I didn't find anything offensive about what you were saying, but I can I can see that sort of thing. Like 
I, I was reading reviews about it and they were talking about how the film demonizes trans people and I kind of took a different stance of I mean I, I tend <laughs> like literally demonize. Yeah, like literally demonize. <laughs> I don't see that and, at all, uh, but okay. And I was kind of like I was thinking about well, if you're it. You're going to call Charlie the villain. Yeah, I, I mean like if Charlie's going to be the villain, but like way. so I was thinking about that and I was like okay, technically sure if if you want to look at the surface story and the entity seeking a body is a demon. Um, but like, if he, if Payman weren't a demon, if Payman were just like a teenager who identified as male but had a female body and wanted to like, I, I couldn't come up with the right word. I kept wanting to say like correct or adjust or whatever, but that's that that's not actually what happens. But you know, had had an mm-hmm. issue with although correct is a movie a word that they use in the movie. It is. It is. Cor- yeah, they corrected your first. That body. that is yeah. true. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Basically, yeah. like he he wanted his external appearance to match his internal appearance and he did and then the people who loved him celebrated the fact that he had the body he wanted it, it's actually a very positive trans story just about yeah, a demon you look at it that way absolutely so, yeah the fact <laughs> that he's an asshole is irrelevant yeah I mean, okay so he murdered a couple people but like you know <laughs> demons have gender identities that need to be validated yeah <laughs> But do they? You know, <laughs> they're literally throwing them apart. I mean, I, I, the other thing that I found interesting, though, is like you know, Charlie was such an unhappy, angsty character, Valiant. and yeah. if you look at her physically with the way that they did her makeup and stuff, like I said before, she looks very boyish, right? And mm-hmm. That could have been maybe that her destiny was supposed to have become the embodiment of this energy that was, for the sake of the movie, inherently male, right? And I thought that that was an interesting thing that could be translated to the angst of like a, you know, a trans person or a queer person in the sense that... Having something invade your body is like a possession is scary and horrible and one right. thing, but that's just your body. But have something invade your soul and be like, fucker, this is not what you are. That's totally different. Like, if she was born to be the vessel of this male entity, there was something in her soul that was male. Right or yeah, yeah. If you are a man or a woman or a gay guy or a lesbian, and you're born into this thing, and your soul is this, but your body and all your outside is saying this, to have that spirit come in and to change that is much more angsty and much more fucked up in my opinion than merely having your body possessed <laughs> and I don't mean that flippantly yeah it's, it's definitely like if you compare it like if you compare it let's say to like other like yeah. exorcism type movies where you where other possessions are it's like okay that's still Reagan tied to her bed or whatever and every once in a while she starts talking funny it's like it's in yeah, there like, with her, but she's still there. Never like Reagan, this is who you are now. Yeah, That's this is you now for the rest of your life. Yeah, day. I'm just using your body for a while. 
And that's why an exorcism can happen because I'm just borrowing your body for a yeah, minute so yeah. I can talk to these people. The 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 yeah. question I had is that like did Charlie ever actually exist? Like like at what point did Payman yeah. enter Charlie's body? Like I mean, maybe presumably at some point there was like a little Charlie soul in there. Right. But how long did that last? Is it still in I there? I know that there was there was indications that maybe the grandmother I'm, breastfed her. Possibly. Yeah, like there was some weird oh, hints like that that were never hundred percent clear. Yeah, because like there was there was also, and she fed Annie herbs in the, in the little like miniature thing. Yeah, yeah those, oh, those creepy weird miniatures. awkwardness oh, so and her weird like totally was not in herself. Oh, she didn't have a chance. Yeah. That kid. No, was, she didn't. That kid she did was not like have a from chance. the beginning. Oh, like, you are never thought about that. You are so right. Annie yeah. was totally. I, they also re- referred to Annie being fed some kind of herbs or some kind of drink yeah. she had to mm-hmm. drink, you know, for the baby. And it was, I, it was all like related to. Whereas when she had her son, it was my mother is not allowed anywhere near our house, and so Peter grew up without the influence of his grandmother. Yeah. But Charlie, she was right there the whole time. And then there was, like, because the, there was a thing with Annie's brother as well, who killed himself at 16 yes. because his, their mother yeah. put people inside mm-hmm. him. Put people in me, yeah. Um, oh, God. Oh, I love it so much. And, I, I mean, they don't movie. talk about, like, why the dad died, but, like, that's kind of suspicious as well. Like, was she trying to, like, put oh. payment into her husband, too? Like, is she just going until she finds one that, like, it sticks? I mean... There were some references to her, like, like being the bride of him a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, there, there was a there picture was, like, of her, like, in a bridal outfit. And maybe, ideally, if she could turn... Find a grown man and turn him into payment, that'd be ultimate. But she couldn't do that, so maybe it was okay, like I'm gonna have uh, a kid and try that. The, God, the, I can't remember what it was, but it was some sci-fi thing. Um, but the the idea that uh, you know you, you you couldn't change an adult, you had to get them as a child. So maybe like she tr- it was this trial and error thing of like putting payment into different entities. Then she was like, oh no, we have to start with like at the very beginning. We need a baby, or if you to def- get it to really take. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so I don't know, yeah. That's it true. Well, weird. and also, it does make sense it wouldn't work the first yeah, time. Yeah, it was I was going to say, yeah. if Paymon needed yeah. to take a bride, the final body that Paymon was in, I'll be the bride for him. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you brought that up, because I'm so inappropriately in love with Alex Wolf. I'm so in love with him. He's kind of my yeah, new I'll Harry Potter. He's <laughs> kind of... Oh my god, yes. Oh my god. I, I do want to kind of uh, derail things for a second because as as the chick in the room, I do kind of want to talk about... Um, Penny kept bringing up the, the thing about Charlie's portrayal of like that kind of awkward boyish thing. And there's, there's something... The article mentioned it, which sort of sent me down a whole path of thinking about it. And there is something... Just from, in terms of the way the movie was written... Having Charlie be at that age where that just maybe starting into puberty kind of thing, that's the perfect age for this character to be when we meet her. Because as the audience, you know, I mean, you you can tell by the trailer and the poster, okay, there's something with this kid. 
But you don't really know anything when you're first watching the movie, but everything about her seems very natural and familiar of a kid of her age. And speaking as someone who went not quite to the, I mean, obviously not quite to the extent that Charlie did, but there's, but there's something about, there was one, there was one moment where right after the grandma's funeral, and Charlie's in her bed and her mom comes in to try to comfort her. And she says, um, she wanted me to be a boy. And, and that is a very clear statement. But the mom, as moms do, is all she wants to do is try to convince her kid. You're not weird. You're perfectly normal. You're fine. You know, and so when she hears she wanted me to be a boy, she goes into this whole thing about, well, you know, I was a tomboy at your age. And I didn't like to wear dresses, and I didn't like pink, and look how great I am. I mean, you know, it was kind of that kind of a thing, which is a very common mm-hmm. discussion. That's a, probably mm-hmm. a very common mother-daughter discussion. You know, and Charlie, her reaction to it, she takes absolutely no comfort in it, because yeah. that wasn't what she was talking about at all. And she almost gets, like, because she goes, like, who's going to take care of me? Like, she gets, like, she retreats farther. Her mother's trying so fucking hard. And she's just like, no, you really don't listen to me. And I, I, you don't know what, you don't know who I am. And there's something, the, the genius of having, I mean, Millie Shapiro, just astonishing. And she just, she just totally blew me away. Like, especially once I saw interviews with her and saw how she really is. And it was just like, wow. Because, I mean, I guess I've always felt bad when when a movie is cast and it's like, we need to find a girl that looks like this. Or like like that Welcome to the Dollhouse movie where it's like, we need to, where can we find a really homely right. girl? Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that, that's a very tricky We need to find a girl that looks just like Michael Myers when he was young. <laughs> <laughs> Have I got the kid for you? But there is something like you, when you meet Charlie, obviously you can tell there's something just, she seems normal for a girl of that age, for a lot of girls. And then, but with just something slightly off about her and there's something, but, but you, because she seems so familiar as Mm -hmm. a, as just the awkward kid. And one, one thing that I can speak to as the chick Okay, I was 11 when puberty hit me hard. And that is way too fucking young. I'll just say that. But there is there is something about, like, one day you're a kid and the next day it's like your body is betraying you. And it's not, it's not, I don't think I'm a girl, but I don't fucking want to be a woman. Because all of a sudden you become aware of grown men leering at you and you're fucking 11 and all of a sudden like the world everyone treats you differently and everything's weird and a big part of puberty for a little girl is oh okay your body start we're gonna put strategic lumps of fat in various places on your body and all of a sudden you're all lumpy and bumpy and you're fucking bleeding and you hate yourself and all you want to do is just be invisible and I I look at Charlie in her giant hoodie, and God damn it, if there had been big oversized hoodies yeah. at that age, you would have never gotten me out of them. I would have totally been Charlie. And in some ways, I kind of was. Not, not super tomboyish, but just, I am so not into yeah. what is happening to me right now. And I, you know, so, so there is something about 
having her character, I mean, if she had been this at 16, it would have it wouldn't have felt right. You would have known the second you saw oh, her. Oh yeah, it would have. Well, something else yeah, going on with this kid. Like a bush lesbian. <laughs> Which would not have worked. Right. And that actually is kind of, that actually is something that I think is really common. And I think it might be maybe more with when you're talking about a a girl bodied character as opposed to a boy bodied character, where it's kind of a normal thing for girls to be boyish. Like society is totally cool with, oh, every girl goes through a tomboy phase. Every girl. And the, and feminism, you know, it's like, well, you know, aren't, aren't you all just trying to be men? And that kind of shit where there's this underlying, you know, moving towards maleness is natural because maleness is superior and maleness is, is where everyone, sh- that's what everyone's goal should be. Oh, please. So you don't <laughs> see it the same way in reverse. And I think it's because they're the, of the weird societal expectation towards masculine equals better. So, and that's just a guess that that's why t- uh, characters tend to, and that, that, that may be why you don't really see like a trans mask character that often because it's maybe it's like well it's easier to just write her as being really dikey it's easier mm-hmm. you know it's easier it or the audience will get it more if i just make her dress like this but i don't know if i you know but i don't know if they'll go all the way with me i don't i'm probably overthinking well i don't know like i, I, I was, <laughs> was kind of gonna go go into that a bit in talking about like kind of carrying on um like trans mask representation but like just to go back to like yeah. when you talk about you mentioned her saying that that her grandmother wanted her to be a boy she she makes a few references uh like that and it's it's always interpreted right. as something else like it's or changed into not really what it said and and kind of charlie's autonomy in general is is left very up in the air um and and her identity is based solely on what other people say about her like you know after her True. kind of very dramatic death. The big conflict between Peter and Annie is that Annie wanted Charlie to do one thing, Peter wanted Charlie to do another, but neither one of them asked what Charlie wanted to do. And 100%. as a result, Charlie ended up dead. And it's kind of which yeah. which one of them is more to blame? Annie for forcing Peter and Charlie to go together or Charlie for being a teenager, getting high and, you know accidentally right. heading his sister and not telling his parents when he got home hey my sister's dead body's in the car just See, be forewarned when you go to the store in the morning that, but that's a whole different issue yeah <laughs> yeah that, i mean that, 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 that i don't know there was a part of me that was like i could totally see well, being so fucking stunned that you really don't know what to do i guess like, what, 15, I 16, yeah yeah like he's, he's probably like 16 <laughs> yeah and yeah. and you know he is like high as fuck um, I, I could, True, I could remember being like, <laughs> I could see myself getting home and just kind of sitting in the car for a really long time and maybe being there in the morning when they come down or just kind of like, right. Not. Yeah. I, I mean, the first time I saw it, I was like, yeah, what his the inability to look over his shoulder and see what was going on in the back seat. Yeah. He, he never, you, he never changed his No, he was just like, okay. Yeah. Like you could see in his face is like, okay. I have to get like I I can't just stay here because he was out in the middle of nowhere, and then there's like 
where do I go? What do I? What do I do? And like, yeah, yeah, it's 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 entirely fucked up situation. The second time through, I was like, yeah, you know, actually, I can I can understand why he made that decision. The first time was just like that is so so messed up. Um, right. But yeah. But you also go into the family, the, you know, the movie thinking, okay, this family is fucked. Yeah. Like, you just know, they just don't know how to act, they don't know how to talk to each other, they don't know how to act around each other, so you're not really surprised when a character does something <laughs> fucking insane. But at the same time, it's like, oh my god, I feel so terrible for these people, this poor family! Well, and like, by the time you get to, like, Peter going home, you have, because, like, the decapitation comes out of freaking nowhere. It's just like you're you're going along. Charlie's trying to having like you know an allergic reaction, and the next thing you know, her head is flying off. And by the time you've processed yeah. that, mom has gone down and discovered her daughter headless in the car. And you're like, oh, okay, this is this is right. I'm caught up now. This is what we're doing. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, they are just it's it's a weird family. I mean the uh, the the grief support group where Annie just kind of spills out her family history and you're just like oh my god if i was sitting in that group i would kind of be sitting i like i would not believe that she was saying that i'd be like okay somebody's trying to make get attention now but like like, someone wants to be go to the head of the class (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but yeah so like I i found that kind of an interesting thing that like everybody was sort of pushing charlie in different directions and nobody ever including the audience asked what charlie wanted or who charlie was right and like the 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 bit where charlie is is saying like kind of very sort of vulnerably says who's going to take care of me i found kind of like it it was a bit heartbreaking because it was like at that moment that i was like does is is there a charlie or is this just paymon abandoned in a world that he doesn't quite understand, and the one person who is sort of oh saying, this is the plan for you, this is what I'm going to do, this is how I'm going to help you, is just gone, and nobody knows who you are now. Like, you're just stuck there. Let- oh my god, I'm d- that you're literally blowing <laughs> my mind right now. Because <laughs> I, I thought if it was Paymon that he was being really manipulative, maybe... But no, I think I think you're right. I think it's oh shit, my whole plan is fucked because she's dead. Yeah. Yeah, because because the lady who made me is dead. Yeah. Oh. But fuck. what happened Poor to actual Charlie? <laughs> because that birth spirit has to be in there somewhere. That unless never he killed her already, you know. Yeah, unless unless he, by the time she was born. It was fully oh, dead because it could have happened. Yeah. Oh, it's so fucked up. Because because <laughs> the grandma was living with them at that point. But if he was a point. truly supernatural being, that would not have mattered. Yes. Yeah. Outside of an Abrahamic Crowleyan universe. That's right. She could have been possessed by someone way more benevolent. Yeah. And way way cooler. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh. oh my god! Oh my god! I fucking love this movie so much. It's that this is a good example of a movie that I, I had this impulse to watch it just over and over and over again, but it freaked me the fuck out so much the first time that I'm just like. I just was, like, obsessively watching YouTube videos of other people talking about it and thinking about it all the time, but I could not make myself sit through it again. Because it just, there's certain things in it, like, I mean, even just Annie bashing her head on the on the attic door, I can't even think about it without being completely freaked out. It just, this movie's so fucking That good. freaks me out. Yeah, that I freaks mean, me out. I mean, I've seen some crazy shit in a lot of horror movies, but this movie 
really freaked me out in a lot of ways. This this is one of the few movies that like I had to sit through it and be like, okay, you know this is coming up right now. We just need to like prepare ourselves because this start breathing. Yeah, like don't be surprised. <laughs> Like, this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and you're going to freak out about it, but you uh, need to not. Just just chill and breathe. Right. It's like, you know you're about to see uh, Charlie's head covered in ants. Three, two, one. Just deal with it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the first time you see it, it's like, oh, Jesus yeah, Christ. I that was fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as someone who is totally obsessed with effects and makeup and you know practical effects and shit i mean god damn it this movie is beautiful yeah it's beautiful but god they, i mean they went with some good realism and some serious grossness i mean her head on the mannequin at the end with the crown on it was like oh god that head has been sitting there for a really long time now that that poor oh that uh, i think i wonder just like so much who who went back and got the head, and at what point did they go and get the head? Because like I'm gonna guess, uh, 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 Anne Dowd, whatever her character's name was, she got the head. God, I love her. So like, what like, her. She what would you do in, in that now. situation? Like, would would the police like if you called the police? How how do you even explain that? Um, my daughter's headless body is in the car, and I don't know how it got there. First of all, right. and, then, and we don't yeah. know where and her then, head is. <laughs> And then, like, evidently, we it's looking, maybe a coyote. Yeah, took I mean, it. we don't know. At some point, they figured out that the son was driving, and it's like, how does he explain that story? And like, what did like? Because you know, the cops are gonna be standing there, I mean, like, and your your solution is to just go upstairs and go to bed when your daughter, when your sister's dead in the car. And it's like, does he say right. her head's out somewhere on this stretch of road? And do they send police out to get it, or are they just like, ah, eh, we'll leave her head out there? Something. I'm not like, sure exactly where it was. It's somewhere. Like I mean, do there. they even make oh an attempt God. to recover the head, or do they just be like, ah, eh, the head's gone. Sorry, you're gonna have to have a closed casket. Like, and I did someone I don't like did they put it in their freezer? Did they just like, <laughs> put it in the bowling bag? You know, so I guess they could have reattached it and put a little makeup, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, that, hey, you know, morticians can do some amazing things, like. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy our show, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. If you send us a screenshot of your review, we'll send you a Bitchin' Boutique sticker. Everyone loves stickers! Please subscribe or add us to your favorites wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribers get new episodes first and are also more attractive. Drop us a line anytime at pitneyandamelia at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. see where I want to start. I have all these bullet notes and let me see Okay. So <laughs> I think I found my Easter egg. For I'm the sorry. Yeah, don't you edit that out. Know. I'm sorry y'all. <laughs> we're um, all but we're all doing that. It's fine. <laughs> We've never had to be so organized in an episode. <laughs>